on maynard.com.au. AU! It's Bunker Bunker! Episode 21 with Tim Ferguson and Maynard. Do the thing, pull it on, and make the noise that goes. Show 21, show 21. I bet none of you expected this, did you? Bunga Bunga is. Well, it's hit the length now where it can drink legally in America. 21 shows. One or two of them are good. The rest you can throw out, but there's 21 out there. The rest of them have been thrown out, I'm sure, Maynard. We don't have to tell people to do that. They'll be looking for them now to find out what it was that we're trying to hide, and we'll talk about that later. Ring the bell. You might hear the air conditioner come on from time to time because we're at Tim's Fortress of Arrogance. (laughs) It's like like Superman. He's got that big ice fortress. This is the walls are made of pure arrogance. I wear a cape and all of a sudden you're starting to take the mickey. You say cape, I say towel with a hole cut out. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's good to see you, Tim. We've got so much to get to in this show. We like to start the show with some Doug Anthony All-Stars news. Last year was the International Year of Doug Anthony All-Stars. This year, we are still the official Dad's Army podcast. And we are now your official Starstruck movie podcast. Starstruck. That's a great movie. It's been ignored for far too long, Tim. You've been starstruck struck. You saw that movie, didn't you, 1982? I was right there. I was in love with her, whoever the hell she was. Joe Kennedy. Joe Kennedy. I was in love with her. I didn't care what her name was. I didn't realise it was an actor. I thought it was a real person. You've been looking for that person ever since. As someone who's made a movie themselves, I was explaining to you that Starstruck maybe didn't do that well in the US because they cut an awful trailer for it. Listener, when this podcast is finished, and certainly not before, go to YouTube and compare the Australian official trailer for Starstruck to the American one. Watch the American one first. You'll be no wiser about the film after the two minutes. And then watch the Australian trailer and you go, oh, right, it's a girl who wants to save the family pub by going in a singing contest. That's all the Americans had to put in the trailer and they didn't. Does that worry you about your film? Are you worried that someone's going to cut a bad trailer for your film, Tim? The great thing about Spin Out is that it would be impossible to cut a bad trailer unless you used other footage because everything <laughs> just looks good. You just have to put everything up, say, look at this, there's a car doing that and there's a lovers doing that and look, this is a bit grown up, so I'm not worried about that at all. But what if someone cuts a bit of Schindler's List into it? Well, uh, you know, we've all got to have a bit of gravity in our comedy, don't we, Maynard? <laughs> the great thing about a trailer, it's a bit like a low-hanging top It's the thing that makes you want to see more. And if a trailer doesn't do that, well, then you're in trouble. A lot of comedies tend to have all their best gags in the trailer, then you see the film and go, well, I've I've seen all those gags. But that's usually because the film's no good. Doug Anthony All-Stars are powering on you guys. You're going to play fucking Gosford. I call it Godsford because it's chased. Yeah, we're going to play Godsford. And it's going to be. It's been a long time since the last time we drank in Godsford that we absorbed that we drank fully of the people of Godsford. It's going to be difficult emotionally for everybody. I'm just going to put your air conditioner back on there, Tim, because I realise it is getting a bit warm in here. With Tim's delicate condition, you have two enemies, late nights and heat. Is that correct? That's right. Hot late nights, forget it. Put the two together and I'm like, no way. I can't even watch Body Heat, the movie. I've got the DVD right there. Look at it. It's right there staring at me, but I'm not going to watch it. Anything with heat in the title. Is that because it makes the brain go faster and the EMS doesn't like that? What, What is the heat thing? What is it? Well, what happens, I asked a neurologist and she said what happens is, like anything, a brain expands in heat as well. And nerves expand in heat. So what happens is your nerves actually get bigger. Not huge, of course, but just that little difference. When you're dealing with nerves as stupid as my nerves, well, it's like dealing with people from North Queensland. And hello to all those listeners. Hello to all those fans. 
but you know what I'm talking about. And a big shout out to Dr. Mel Thompson. Do you know Dr. Mel Thompson? She got diagnosed with MS recently and I spoke to her on The Skeptic Zone. Welcome to The Skeptic Zone, the podcast from Australia for science and reason. She was in a minor car accident and lost her vision and they thought it was to do with the minor car accident, but then when they scanned the brain, the little white things were appearing there. And the first thing she did was send her husband out to buy your book. Wow, that's good. <laughs> she should have gone to a doctor or something. OK, so the first thing I did was buy Tim Ferguson's book. <laughs> Carry a big stick. Yes, yes. So the first thing I did was buy that. I sent my husband down the local bookshop and said, come back with I Carry a Big Stick, because I'd follow Tim on uh, Twitter and knew his issues, obviously, and I follow. was a big fan, big fan girl when I was a... A child, and I like the chapter where he's like going, uh, and here's here's my spiel. Don't try and give me the woo. And I was like, yeah, you go, guy. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Mel Thompson. Not only is she really really smart, but she's in the Multiple Sclerosis Club, which makes her doubly special. She views the world. One of the ratings she does is in heels because she realizes she won't be able to wear high heels for all her life now if it progresses so is something worth one pair of high heels or two pair of high heels she rates things in life life is short wear heels is what she said well, she's a doctor. It was great talking to her, and we were able to talk openly about multiple sclerosis, and your book really helped her along there. That's very strange. My autobiography, yeah, well, that's all me, 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 and then there's a lot of, oh, oh. And then I come back going, me, me, me. Mel said the thing, as probably you had too, is that people have got all these miracle cures for her. They'll ring her and the relatives will come around going, look, if you just eat shiitake mushrooms, that will cure MS and stuff like that. And hookworms and all those things that get poked on you. Oh, yeah, people are pushing berries at the moment. Like, berries are going to cure you. There is a woman, and I won't say her name, mainly because I've banished it from my memory, but some woman doing the rounds in America, does speeches, gets paid to stand up and say that getting rid of MS is all to do with diet. Getting rid of pretty well anything, including lovers you don't like, is all about eating more fruit. So she should shut the up and just let other people deal with this thing, which is, let me look it up, ah, incurable, no matter how many times you fart in one day. And speaking of farting, how are the two Pauls, McDermott and Livingston? Well, they are very well. The Doug Anthony All-Stars are gearing up for a huge year. We've got a whole bunch of gigs, dozens of shows coming up. Now, can we talk about any overseas stuff at this point, or is that something that's not on the plate officially yet? We are a bee's dick and a quarter of the bee's testicle away from making a big announcement about our overseas plans. We're going to do something overseas and it's going to be large and a great return to audiences that we used to flirt with. And you'll turn up there and they'll go, aren't you on the podcast that's the official Starstruck movie podcast? I go, I go people, I go, I go And the official Dad's Army 2016 movie podcast. <laughs> Bunga Bunga publicity will precede you. Oh, yeah. I saw the BBC movie. It's available on YouTube now. That is the Dad's Army story, how Perry Croft, those two writers, got together and made Dad's Army. And the show really became successful when they decided to make the characters more like the actors. And they said that was what really made it. And in the first season, BBC was just starting to test programs and Dad's Army was one of the first ones. And the test audience hated it, except for one guy. And they hid the audience report from their management. Well, that makes sense. It's like... I mean, can you test a comedy show in front of an audience or is it like an iPod or a computer? You don't know what you want until you get it. Particularly with a sitcom, quite often you need to show them two episodes and see if they're laughing more in the second because, you know, you need to know the characters. You need to know that Corporal Jones is always going to be one second late when it comes to standing attention. So, you you know, I'd play two episodes. But look, Faulty Towers got a terrible review from uh, the BBC production department. They said it was just full of stock characters. It was never going to go anywhere, and I guess it hasn't gone anywhere, which is very sad. But, you know, there are stories like that all over showbiz. Well, yeah, I think Seinfeld is the worst testing show that NBC ever tested in front of an audience. No show they ever had tested as badly as Seinfeld. That would be an inkling that it just might work. 
It just might be the thing that works. If everybody doesn't like it, what's going on? And also in the making of the Dad's Army, which you should look up on online, they had a terrible problem with the opening credits. They had the song down and they were going to use stock footage of the Germans marching along with that. But people thought it was too close to the war and you were making fun of something that was deadly serious. So that's when they got the animation with the little pointed things and they changed it. And people like that. People pick it up. It's like Dust Capital, the sitcom was the uh, Doug Anthony All-Stars made for the ABC. It was banned in Germany and Japan for some... Well, you'll have to watch the DVD. We didn't know how to get things unbanned in those countries. But once the internet started playing clips, people in Germany and Japan started seeking out Das Kapital to find out what it was that was so offensive. And I can't even say what was offensive. The three of you dressing up as Nazis and singing I want to be a Mexican Hitler, could that have had something to do with the German banning? I don't know, just call me crazy. The Mexicans didn't ban it. (laughs) Recently, we've had at the Enmore Theatre in Sydney as part of the Sydney Festival, uh, Mexicacy, a, a band that does Morrissey and Smith songs in Spanish. Serves Morrissey right. Does it sound moany and self-interested? It still comes through, even in a foreign language, but I'm just wondering if they ban any meat at the Enmore while they're playing, or whether it's the opposite. It's compulsory to eat meat when they play. Oh, yeah, it would be tacos for all of our friends. Arriba! Hang the DJ, hang the DJ, hang the DJ. Hang the DJ, hang the DJ, hang the DJ, hang the DJ. Hang the DJ. And, of course... It's been a huge summer for Ferguson. The Star Wars film came out. You were there. You were one of the first people in the world to see it. Everyone wants to know, did you go with the Princess Leia outfit? I didn't. Ah! I was, I was going to, but I wouldn't fit into it. Oh, look, even the little kid's disappointed. Mom. How does he know where you live? Oh, man, get away, get out, move off. He's just sticking his head in the window. Look, I I have no excuse. I was going to go as Boba Fett, but that's too clunky and you can't see the screen. (laughs) One guy turned up as a stormtrooper and that lasted about five minutes. But I really wanted to go as Princess Leia, but I just thought, you know, I'm going to live with these photographs forever, apart from my private (laughs) home collection. I, perhaps I won't. And did uh, The Force Awakens hit the mark? And by the way, screening Spaceballs in Newcastle, I was a bit worried that it might not work. There's that long scene at the beginning of Spaceballs where, where they take the piss out of, like, the 2001 spacecraft and it just goes on <laughs> and on. And it's one of those jokes where you think, is this going to wear out? And then it goes on. It becomes funny again, one of those things. And the spaceship's huge. It's a great, a great opening scene and people are pissing themselves at that. Well, and also, it looks like a really big spaceship, so it's pretty cool. Ludicrous speed. It got everybody, as you would expect. What was the best scene without giving too much away in The Force Awakens? Spoiler alerts. If you haven't seen it, you can't be carrying on about spoiler alerts now. It's like people who complain about spoiler alerts in Game of Thrones. The books have been round since the 1940s. For me, it's got to be that moment when Rey is running along with Finn and they say, no, 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 we won't get in that spaceship. It's a piece of junk. And then the spaceship they're running to gets exploded. And then it's like, get back in the piece of junk. And what is the piece of junk? It's the Millennium Falcon and it takes off. It's awesome. Was there cheering at certain times? Because obviously all the fans were at the movie. Was it like being with a whole bunch of mates watching a movie? It's one of those films and one of those film experiences where you can act like an American audience and be very vocal. And certainly when the Millennium Falcon takes off the first time, the audience went bunter. It's a great film. There was an assessment, I think you would call it, as opposed to a review, an assessment of The Force Awakens in the Huffington Post with 40, no less than 40 
inconsistencies and plot weaknesses listed. This was then smashed to pieces by another guy who took each of those 40 and explained why each one was badly observed, whether the person had ever seen another Star Wars film, and came to the conclusion that it was really just someone who didn't want Star Wars to succeed. The simple fact is, it's an organic construct. Star Wars, it's like complaining about a part of a mouse just because it's not attractive or doesn't seem to have a purpose. Like looking at an appendix and saying, well, the whole thing's ruined because of the appendix. It's an organic creation, and so you just have to go with stuff that doesn't make sense, that doesn't fit together. Apart from the fact that the Huffington Post guy was totally ludicrously and offensively wrong and snotty. Speaking of film reviews, there's a new Australian film that's out called The Dressmaker, and on a blog that John Johnsonson at wordpress.com wrote that's not a film and called The Dressmaker the second worst Australian film ever and said that basically the way you fund movies in Australia by having to go to the people that fund and they affect your script means that that's the way to make bad scripts by committee and that The Dressmaker has no relevance to the 80% of people who live in urban Australia and that Kate Winslet must have been tricked to be in the movie and it's just a terrible film. As someone who's made an Australian film, as you have it's been out, and as someone who's gone through that process, what do you think of this guy thinking that that's the way we make bad films? Well, Bernard Wilfrinson, and I am talking to you. <laughs> the simple fact is, if you have a good idea for a movie, then you fight like a rabid dog for years to get it made. And sometimes you have to compromise because you're working in a team, but you compromise with good people. You make sure that the people whose opinions you're balancing against your own are better than you and smarter than you. Sometimes those people work with funding bodies, sometimes they're actors, sometimes they're producers, they're co-writers. It's about collaboration. So you can't go complaining about the way a script changes. If your idea is strong, it's very hard to hold it under the water for very long. And by the way, stop reviewing things. Become a man in the arena, as Theodore Roosevelt said, be a man in the arena. Not, as Theodore said, one of those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. What do you want on your gravestone? I criticized quite a few of other people's projects with remarkable wit and accuracy, or, I made stuff. Sometimes it failed, sometimes it succeeded, and sometimes I just paid for dinner. Work it out. Are you a maker or a criticizer? Bunga bunga. bunga. It's time to open the burning social issue right now. What's Malcolm been up to over the break? Oh, Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm. You know, last bunga bunga, I did say, come out, come out wherever you are. Yeah, yeah that is our, our Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull. Yes, you were saying he was a do-nothing guy because he didn't want to upset anybody. Has he tried to sneak some stuff through while we've all been down at the beach? Maynard, he has. Malcolm, God love him, he's earning the hundreds of thousands of dollars that he's paid to be Prime Minister, not just to sit around. But of course, what he's got to do and the first things he has to do are appease the jerks that he's working with. So he doesn't really care about moderates or lefties, those people. He figures they're hard to save. So what's he done? The first thing he's pushing forward is to make women pay for their pap smears up front. That's a good one, because a lot of women in poverty, for example, or working in poverty, will probably not go and have pap smears. And for him, that's a good result for everybody. Not only that, but it doesn't matter what kind of test you're going to get, he's going to make sure that you have to pay for it up front. And you get most of that money back from Medicare, but most means not all, which is fine if you're making a million dollars a second. It's not fine if you're making $20,000 a year. Is this purely a budget thing? Do you think it's a bit of a thin end of the wedge and suddenly we'll end up eventually with an American-style system of medical care? The Liberals have always hated Medicare. From the first time Gough Whitlam stood up and started talking about universal health care, the Liberals hated it. They loathe it because they know that it's going to have to come out of taxpayers' pockets. But the simple fact is, 
it does and it works and it's way better than the American system and it's way more fair than the American system. But the Liberals cannot help but keep trying to tear it to pieces. Medicare has to be protected. The activism, you know the person to ring in Canberra repeatedly, don't you, about this? Oh yeah, just called Susan Lee, the health minister. You won't get through to her, you just get through to one of the lovely people who answers her phones. Hello darling, hello darling. As I did this morning, just before Maynard walked into the fortress of arrogance. <laughs> Pretty daunting. By the way, Kittler hasn't turned up yet. Where's Kittler? Oh, he's passed out drunk. Bloody cat. Yeah, I just called up and I spoke to the nice lady. I just wasted 90 seconds of her time. So while I was on the phone, she couldn't take the call from someone important. We mentioned the uh, second worst Australian film ever, according to the reviewer at johnjohnsonson.wordpress.com. He said the worst Australian film is from 2011. The worst Australian film, A Heartbeat Away. Do you know that film from 2011, the Australian film? I've never heard of it. I haven't heard of that, but I'm going to go and see it. I'm going to buy two tickets. Sound, I love the sound of it. A Heartbeat Away, which costs $7 million to make and only recoup 118000 That's a bit of a deficit going on there. Oh, not really. There are winners, there are losers, like I said before. So long as you're in the arena and making things like that movie, you're in there, you're doing it, you're putting your heart on the wall and saying, do your worst. It doesn't matter if things don't attract the audience that you were hoping for. The main thing is that you're out there, you're in the arena, you're doing it. You've got something on your headstone. There's going to be an article, When You Die, that says what you did, as opposed to Stephen Quilkinson, critic. Let's ask what in bug out what try harder what's in Maynard's bug out bag so I'm at a simple one today just this mm, can we hear it again please now, of course this will trigger post-traumatic stress from anyone who's ever seen Cabin in the Woods because that's the noise that makes before the monsters come out of the elevator. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. There's silence and then suddenly... Oh, shit. It's a great scene. That is a great scene. There's a punctuation mark. It's like, what? You hate the critic? That's good. It's like, they're here. Even the most innocent sound in the right context can really get your tree shaking. I was asked today, what is a bug out bag, by the way? A bug out bag is, I first heard it in reference to the CIA chief of Beirut. Next to his bed, he'd keep the suicide pill, two false passports, a Colt 45 with three clips in it. And he said if anyone came through his front door that he wasn't expecting or there was a knock in the middle of the night, he'd just roll over and go out the window. He was three stories high. Bug out bag. So only that bag, that's all you've got and you've got to get out now. So it was a suicide pill, passports. False passport. And a revolver. Yeah. Ironically, each of those things, if swallowed, will kill you. <laughs> That's true. Bug it. Hang on, though, it's a message. The show's not finished yet, Tim. It's a bit early for people to review, isn't it? I've only ever had good reviews, which is a little bit suspicious. And now that I'm in a wheelchair with multiple sclerosis, nobody dares give me a bad one. But uh, it really is worth looking at your career in the broadest terms and think, I do a lot of criticising. When will I actually make something? When will I do something? When will I put my tiny testicles on the line? <laughs> Because we seem to be talking about movies a lot today, New Year's Eve, it happened like clockwork, like it does every year. Now, of course, New Year's Eve, we know that's the one night of the year where almost anything could happen, but doesn't. It's the most disappointing night out ever. It is. I never look forward to New Year's Eve because it's the night before something happens. It's the amateur night, too. You should be able to party at 2 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon any week. You shouldn't have to just party on New Year's Eve. It's amateur night. It's New Year's Eve every single day. And if you don't live your life like that, then pick your birthday every single day. Because you are usually doing things on New Year's Eve, you've got gigs for most of my life from the age of 16. I had a gig every single New Year's Eve. But I've noticed, and people have told me, that every New Year's Eve, Channel 9 screens 
village people film Can't Stop the Music. And I looked this year and lo and behold, there it was at 1am. Channel 9 screens it every New Year's Eve and has since at least 1986. And I don't know why they're doing this. I was thinking, okay, there must be a programmer that really likes it, but no one could have been the programmer for that long, continuously at Channel 9. So I'm wondering what's going on there. Your thoughts. Why does Channel 9 screen Can't Stop the Music every New Year's Eve for the last 30 years or whatever? You Well, there are three options, Maynard. Oh, I love it. Number one. (laughs) Village people. Well, that's not a bad idea. The first option is it's just a placeholder. At one o'clock on New Year's Day, you would figure everybody's drunk, everybody's partying, they're making sweet love, and they are not going to be watching the TV, certainly with the noise up. But sometimes it's on at eight o'clock, sometimes they do it early. That's option one. Why are they dressed so funny? Option two as to why Can't Stop the Music's on every New Year's Eve on Channel 9 because it's a great movie. It's just great, and it's going to get the ratings of exactly the audience you want. Okay. Village people. Oh. Option three as to why Can't Stop the Music's on every New Year's Eve, and I'll tell you what, it certainly is very different watching Bruce Jenner have a sex scene in the movie. Bruce Jenner has this scene where he's saying, the people you know, they're very odd, they're different, they're strange. You're hanging out with weirdos. He does this big speech about how he can't go out with Valerie Perrine because she likes people that are weird. She likes people that are straight. The sex scene is really awkward, where he spills lasagna on his pants and has to change his pants. It is an amazingly great, funny film to watch, but by the time you're getting to almost three o'clock at the end of the movie, what's going on here? You're saying, yourself. You're asking existential questions about yourself, but also about the plot. I've seen it many times and I saw something I have not seen. In the final scene, there's this tracking shot where village people are playing their big concert. The crowds are watching them, except for one guy. He is turning around, waving his arms, looking straight at the camera as it goes past him. Any other movie, they would have had to do the scene again and they either didn't notice it. Watch, there's a scene in the final movie where there's one guy waving at his friends in the cinema and you've got to go, that guy was probably such a legend. Oh yeah, and he's probably related to the producer. Alan Carr, what a great movie. Can't stop the music. You can't stop the music. Milkshake. Do the shake. The Ritchie family are in it doing Give Me a Break. There's a cool song. I'm traveling through this game called life. It's a tough game to play. Sometimes the play gets rough. Now that I've got the final okay, you're trying so hard to take it all away. I got my education, I got determination, I got imagination. Come on, give me a break. family. And let's not forget, thank God it's Friday. Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Can't stop the music. If you look at Steve Buscemi. Yeah, Steve Gutenberg. Just watch it and he'll go, that's fantastic. Or he'll have one line and he goes, village people, fantastic. <laughs> it's like they've said, now you've got to come on now and do your line. Village people, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> He's just very excited during the whole movie. Well, thank you. There was Can't Stop the Music, Thank God It's Friday and Xanadu all seem to have a little bit of, really? This was the idea and you got it through? I loved Can't Stop the Music when I first saw it. It was at a time where you just saw a film and then there was never a video. There was nothing else. You'd 
So all you had was the memory of that one experience. And many years later, in fact, only recently, I watched it on TV. There's not much going on there. David Hodo, construction worker for Village People. He was given the script backstage when they were playing Madison Square Gardens in New York. And he threw the script across the dressing room and said, this is absolute... Because it was originally going to be called Disco Land, where the music never stops. That's good. The thing is, those guys would do that. They'd make Thank God It's Friday. But the fact is they knew it would have an audience. It went out to an audience and it had a huge audience and it's still talked about by guys like us. It was a culture of movie making where they knew how to make a movie, even if it was made of straw. And Jeff Goldblum's fantastic in it. Jeff Goldblum, he could act funny even then. The Fly, he's great in The Fly. Great in The Fly. That was his real breakout, The Fly. And he deserved it. He was hot body in that too. He was very hot body. Bunga bunga. <laughs> At this point, we'd like to thank our Patreon producers. These are the people that every month they have a little donation. That really helps get things along. As you know, I'm unemployed. Tim's got a movie and a international career ahead of him. I just kind of slep around, really, don't I? Schlep. I do love that word, schlep. Seriously, the Patreon thing is great. You can be just a couple of bucks a month. You won't even know it's gone, but it makes a big difference. We have a lot of little mini expenses. We've got to get Maynard for around the country. We've got to fly him to wherever I've been left and Maynard's got to live. If you want to get onto the Patreon thing, please do. It would be much appreciated. Patreon.com slash Maynard. And thanks to Angela, Kirsty, all the people that are on there. It's really great. And I really appreciate your help. I really do. Because some days I get up and I go, oh, what am I going to do? Ferguson just leaps out of bed and goes, I'm fucking Tim Ferguson world. Listen, I get up in the morning, I go, oh, well. And then I look, see the Patreon thing and I feel better. Hello, darling. The funny thing is, I am fucking Tim Ferguson. <laughs> He's great. Tim leaps out of bed, despite the fact of the multiple sclerosis. He leaps out of bed like the American dad at the very beginning of the credits. He leaps out. Good morning, good morning, USA. I got a feeling that it's going to be a wonderful day. Oh, yeah. I move with the speed of a startled gazelle. I land on the floor, but that gazelle jumps, I tell you. Thank you to our Patreon producers and thank you for supporting us there. And also DNC Lifestyle that Kittler's really down with. When he wants a scratching post or something, that's where he wants to go. If you've got a cow and it doesn't have any moccasins... You go to DNC Lifestyle because they'll be able to fix you up with anything your animal needs. Weird Al Yankovic toured recently. Now, as a comedy guy, what do you think of Weird Al? He's obviously a comedy legend. What do you personally think of his work and his career and the way he's done stuff from the analytical comedy side of things? There's a thing Paul McDermott said to me a long time ago when I said, I can't draw, I'm a really bad drawer. I mean, look at my pictures. He said, yeah, they're terrible. He said, just keep doing them for 10 years and they become a thing in and of themselves and they will be part of your brand. And sure enough, Weird Al may not do songs that make you laugh every single time you hear them, but he's still going, he's still working, he's still poking fun at rock and roll stars in his own way. Everybody's got a Weird Al song that they like, and so it is with my drawings. If you look for long enough, you'll find one you like. At the Enmore show, I spoke to many, many Weird Al fans out the front. I'm, I'm not always a very forward person for someone who works in the media, am I, Tim? I'm a little bit too polite sometimes, aren't I? Way too polite, way too polite, rude up. And that became to my detriment. You're well, supposed to say thank you for that piece of advice I gave you. Say thank you, damn it. Thank you, Tim. Sometimes I don't push things forward enough. Even though I have Weird Al's direct email, I didn't send it to him. I went, I went through his people, I went through the publicists and everything, and they went, oh, no, Al can't do any interviews, Al can't do any interviews, and they were quite... And I went, OK. Then I wrote to Al afterwards, and he was, well, why didn't you email me? And I would have loved to have spent some time with you. I just didn't want to bother the guy. The guy's doing a tour, and I just didn't, I didn't want to bother him. Oh, it gets lonely on the road. You just want someone to drop you a line. And I always look forward to Maynard calling. He did the VIP experience in a way that I haven't seen with bands before. So you'd pay extra money and you get a two-hour party beforehand with 
members of the band, not necessarily Al, but members of the band and all the fans, and you get a special T-shirt, special beret, they play games, they have a costume thing, and basically the Enmore became Weird Al Party Central for two hours, and then the show starts, and at the end of the show, you are guaranteed that Al will sign stuff for you. So he's monetized his signature section of the show. Yes, he's done that, but he's also done a very powerful fan thing. So the fans all get to meet each other before the show. I'm stealing that idea as you talk. That idea is now stolen. Thanks very much, Al. You're not so weird. You could do the Das thing where he might turn up briefly at the party. They All the fans have a bit of a party beforehand and they're guaranteed a signature that previously you were signing if people were buying merchandise, sure, but this way people are paying to get the signature as well as the merchandise. And they get to gather round and look at Cameron P. Mellor, our manager. Don't touch, don't talk, but just look. In the Das world, he'd be in charge of organising the previous... VIP party. Is he the kind of guy you really want to have doing that? Well, you know, Cameron, he does complain a lot, but it's usually about the bags of money he carries around. I don't know where he gets the money and what he does with it. He's not an easy person, is he? You heard him in Bunga Bunga 20, the previous show. And by the way, were you happy with the way that that show came out with you, you guys being at the Harold Park Hotel? That was a 45-minute section that took a lot of editing. Oh, yeah, that was great. It was great to hear the people who like the Doug Anthony's talking. Normally, they just shout. They just shout and quite often just epithets and aphorisms, nothing original. Things like, keep going, and that sort of stuff. And I came, I saw, I conquered. They just don't make any sense. So it's nice to hear improvised sentences. One of my favourite moments in there is when I'm talking to Paul after the first show. And listen to it again, people. There's this moment where I apologise for doing something and he said, that's okay. And then his voice breaks into a cadence. He goes, that's okay because you don't really know me. I thought you actually played guitar quite well. I was... No, no, I, no, I, no I never play guitar. But you know why that could be? Because you don't... I mean, you, you don't know me. But I really liked the way his voice went, you don't really know me, which in that few words explained the dilemma of the performer. Everyone thinks they know you because they've seen you on TV, Tim, but they don't really know you. Well, there's not much to know. You know me as well as anybody can because there's not much to know. My entire personality is not just worn on my sleeve, it's worn out my sleeve. Paul is far more complex, so I don't even bother and try and understand because his complexities and intelligence and talent are way above my reach. If you walk away saying, oh, he, he seems sort of all right, then that's me. <laughs> I am sort of all right. Well, this is why you don't see a lot of interviews with Robert De Niro or Kevin Spacey or even... Steve Gutenberg. Yes, Steve Gutenberg. Village people! Or Meryl Streep, because their idea is the less we know of them as people, the more open we are to whatever character they're portraying, because we don't know what the core of this person is or we haven't seen what appears to be the real person so if you're an actor it's very tricky of course you've got to be a super actor and then you can stop doing publicity it's going to be a balancing act don't worry because I will protect you using my fuffer gun do you think that schools in Australia should practice an active shooter drill that is a stupid idea a stupid idea. Maybe in America where even the kids are carrying guns, you might look at that. But what could the drill be? What, run, hide, get down low and go, go, go? I mean, there is no protection against a psychopath with an automatic weapon. But for Australia, we don't have that. And we won't have that. This will not occur. And if it does, it will be such a remote occurrence that I can't see how it could be repeated. So why would you make kids anxious by teaching them how to survive things that aren't going to happen. The end of the world is something to be concerned about. It was predicted last year. It was going to happen on October the whatever. You could either be anxious about that or not. George Harab has a track called This Is The Way The World Will End. It has astronomer Phil Plate just reading out a few of the statistical possibilities of how the world will end and your options of being killed are. These are the way. The overall risk of dying from an impact in your lifetime is 1 in 700,000, somewhat less than being killed by a fireworks accident, but still more probable than being killed on an amusement park ride or by an act of terrorism. These are the ways the world will end. 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 These are the ways the world will end.
by supernova explosion, one in 10 million. Supernovae happen about once per century in any given galaxy. Assuming the event would cause a mass extinction killing everyone on Earth, the odds of you specifically dying from one during your lifetime are about one in 10 million. Yeah, that'll do it. Watch out for those zombies. Yeah, yeah, it's a gag. Yeah, yeah, it's made up. Is it really? Ask any anti-vaxxer and they'll be able to tell you those zombies are out there. I went to a gig at the Sly Fox uh, over the break at Jack the House and it was all music of the Horden Pavilion dance years. So we're talking 1988 to 92, all that dance music from that stuff, including Guru Josh, who died recently. Guru Josh, 1990, time for Guru, he died recently in Ibiza. Follow-up was called Who's Law? And it was all about the right to have a rave party. Have a party with your friends and just rave, maybe drop some ease and have a party, because at that stage in the UK they were banning them at a rate of knots. happy people coming and hugging each other. I'd want to bring that to a halt pretty quickly. Haven't they heard of alcohol and fighting? And hasn't the nightlife of Sydney been killed by these lockout laws, Tim? Well, Sydney, look at you, you're getting on. Talk about an ageing population, there's no other sign. We partied until six in the morning, just because. It just went on and on and on. Can't stop the music, once that kicks off, you've got to kick off. We're from Melbourne too, we know how to party. Whereas you're right, yeah, Sydney people, they're just getting on, you know, the population of Sydney is ageing and oh, is that the time? What did you think of my interview with John Blacksland, the author of The History of Asia, 1963 to 75, the official history of Asia? Well, did you learn anything from the interview at all? Tim, I know you're a man who's into the security structure. I guess you must have really good encryption on your laptop. <laughs> You'd have to have. <laughs> it's a good point. One thing I did like about the whole interview was how open he was, how relaxed he felt about talking about not only ASIO but the other organisations attached or related to ASIO. And a shout out to ASIS, which is sort of the military kind of wing of ASIO, and the uh, Signals Intelligence Unit. They're the people who actually kind of do the stuff. He said, look, they're groups that don't really want a lot of publicity. They're kind of more the hardcore guys. You don't want to to piss off the Signals Intelligence Unit and you don't want to piss off the ASIO. I wrote a piece, oh, it must have been at least a decade ago, which is about ASIO and these other organisations. And it was about how their role was deserving of praise, given that they're always dealing with things that are dangerous or that they think might be dangerous. Yeah, occasionally they're also dealing with community radio. And there was one guy who ended up on community radio 3CR 
bar in Melbourne. God knows what he was listening for. Lesbian attack? For God's sake. These people are there for a reason. You know, finding out who is trying to blow us up. I reckon, you know, there are good things that these spies are doing. And if you don't think that, that's because you're free to do so. Do you think they're overdoing it a bit with the mass surveillance of everybody's phone? We didn't have that level of surveillance when there was a, a nuclear option pointed at us. It seems a little bit overboard, doesn't it? Everybody's phone. Why not? And seriously, everybody's doing the naughty things that you're doing. You think you're the first person in the world to have phone sex? You think you're the first person to go to youporn.com and have it on two screens instead of one? Nobody is really watching to see the dirty porn sites that you're going to. They don't really care because it's all they see all day. Nobody cares that you're jerking off. They really don't mind. Well, I called up ASIO once and said, uh, I just want to ask, do I have a file? And the lady said, why do you think you have a file? And I said, well, I'll have one now, won't I? <laughs> and don't go pretending some idiot's going to listen to your phone conversations because you're in a university activist group. <laughs> 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 Whenever I see the ISIS guys on TV, I sometimes have a problem because my first inclination is, oh, it's Tism. Tism, yeah, this is serious, Mum. Yes. Boy, you're a crock of shit. Got the ski masks on, you just go, oh, Tism. The music's not as good as Tism, no, but, no. you know, with the sound down... And that gets us onto music. One of the most exciting things on Bunga Bunga throughout last year was your incessant opinion about Morrissey, which could be summed up in one sentence as... <laughs> Morrissey. <laughs> People want to send huge lists to me of groups that you think about, and I think, well, every Bunga Bunga, we should ask your opinion about a group, and I'm going to ask you about this group now. Let's talk about Savage Garden, the Australian group Savage Garden, big 93 to 98 at least, because Darren Hayes has a podcast now that he's only just stopped doing called the He Said, He Said podcast. Darren, of course, along with Daniel Jones, they were Savage Garden. They had To The Moon and Back. I want you. Truly, madly, deeply. I'm just uh, wondering, did you have an opinion on Savage Garden? Well, I was living in London when Savage Garden really hit the world stage. So I was thrilled. Here were these two Australian guys. The more I learnt about them, the more I liked. They had put songs together in some little bed set in Brisbane. If you haven't heard of Brisbane, it's hard to explain. Because I met him at the ARIA Awards the year before they went big. He'd been nominated or he won something for a song award and they were just treating him like a total also ran. I don't think they'd organised any publicity for him. There was no transport there. He was just at the back with the with the cheese platter and that. And I interviewed him when I was on Channel V and had a chat with him and I found him to be a totally lovely guy. And I could not have been more happy that the next year they won all this stuff after they were completely ignoring him. I just thought it was, yes, that's the way you get your revenge. And they were big songs and there was a fresh sound. It was uh, new ideas they were bringing to radio. It wasn't like they were just following whatever pop band was on at the time. And once again, they started in a bed set in Brisbane. Yeah, and, and I think he was a huge Air Supply fan too. Oh, they were big on melody. That's the thing that Savage Garden brought to the forefront. These guys had vocals with melodies and Darren's got a great voice. So if Morrissey was a 10 on the annoying Ferguson scale, where would Savage Garden be on that scale? I put them at a three because they're talented, so they're a little bit annoying. It is kind of annoying when people are talented, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It drives me nuts. If they were crap, then they'd definitely be a one. I think we should get Darren on the show sometime too. Oh, yeah. Any time, Darren. Yeah, that'd be very exciting. Also on our list of things that Bunga Bunga has to do this year, I think it's the interview with Tanya Plibersek. Oh, Tanya Plibersek. Listen, if you're listening now or you're one of Tanya's people... Maynard and I, we just want to talk. I know that's what stalkers say. We just want to talk. We want to have coffee and we want to get photographs of us with Tanya. We don't even want to talk about politics. Someone else I want to talk to, but I don't know if it's safe to take you along or not, is our local state member, Jamie Parker, who is, of course, with the Greens Party. Oh, I don't know if Jamie would want to talk to me. 
I'll have to look further into Jamie. It's hard to know. One thing about Richard De Natale, the new leader of the Greens, he may be the person that unravels the whole thing. Just like Meg with the Australian Democrats when they did that deal, GST. Meg Lease. I'm just wondering, what did they get in return for letting the GST go through and completely destroying the Australian Democrats? Well, they got to destroy the Australian Democrats. The thing about Richard De La Tully is that he's selling himself and the newly branded Greens as being the party that is willing to listen, the party of compromise. But of course, that's not the function of an extreme left party. The reason why the Greens work, the reason that I tolerate having such prudes, having such funless, joyless, prudish dweebs in the parliament is because they occupy a space at the end of the spectrum. And what that does is it keeps pulling all the other parties who at best sit in the middle slightly to the left. They have to somehow accommodate the hard left view. And as soon as you bring the Greens to the centre, you've got no one. You've got nowhere to go. So Di Natale may be the guy that brings it all to a grinding halt as people get sick of the Greens being the party that compromised with the party of Cory Bernardi. I believe you've also got an issue with their very name, the Greens. Greens, the colour of putrefaction. And of course, I think they should be the purples. Nobody really likes purple. Only people who have a lot of cats wear purple. The greens is what? Are they supposed to be in favour of trees? Everybody loves trees, darlings. They really do. And whales are not green. So pick another colour. Wow. I think we're getting a bit like Tim Ferguson's right of reply, which we'll get to in a moment, but not before Tim's historical hypothetical. Gee, it's hard to swallow when you're lying down. I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. This is where I give Tim a historical situation, put him in that situation and ask him, so what would you do, smartass? The date is February the 14th, 1900. Oh, I know this one. I know this one. The place is Hanging Rock, Victoria. I don't know this one. You're uh, on a one-day picnic with another group of girls from the uh, private boarding school where you've gone to. Some of these people go missing. And despite the best efforts of policemen like Gary MacDonald, can't be found. Where did they go? What happened on February the 14th, 1900 at Hanging Rock in Victoria? Tim, you're there. What happened? Straight to John Jarrett. I mean, John Jarrett was right there. John Jarrett's the guy who played the bad guy in Wolf Creek. I go straight to him and say, I don't care how you did it. I don't care what the particulars are. And yeah, it's only circumstantial, but you're busted, buddy. You're busted. And of course, the haunting soundtrack. I was about to say, can't stop the music. Yes, can't stop the music has a haunting soundtrack. You can't stop the music. But Picnic at Hanging Rock with that Oh yeah, panpipes. Panpipes! Panpipes work every time. (laughs) Panpipes. Well, that's Tim's historical hypothetical solving picnic at Hanging Rock. John Jarrett every time. I think it's time for an opinion that no one asked for. An opinion that if it was anyone else's, there could be issues. And there will be issues as we open Tim Ferguson's right of reply to something that no one wanted to know and asked in the first place. Don't expect too much. Are you wondering, what do I think? It's very simple. You've got to engage with the Murdoch press. If you're not sure about your political stance, read any opinion page in any of the Murdoch periodicals. Uh, uh, Miranda Devine, is that one? Miranda Devine, she's always of interest. Anything in the Australian, Janet Albrickson, a very cogent writer, uh, and also Henry Ergus, who's written something. It's, it's so funny this morning. But you've got to have a look at this stuff. You have to watch Fox News. You have to embrace this stuff because... Where's this going to get us if we do this? Well, then you will know that whatever they're saying, you don't agree with because you are rational, you're artistic, you're creative, you're thoughtful, you care about other people and shit like that. So if you're not at all sure what you truly believe, tune into Murdoch. News.com has the opposite of what you are. That's Tim Ferguson's right of reply straight from the (coughs) mouth. 
<laughs> something. We'd like to thank everyone from the Patreon or DNC's Lifestyles. Thank everyone who writes into us. We didn't promote this episode because sometimes we do. Sometimes Tim goes, yes, it's on, and we get a big list of stuff to do, and then suddenly Tim just doesn't answer the door. I know he's in here with Kittler and his wife. You can hear them going, shh. I'm going, shh, it's my aunt, shh. And then you hear some rustling noise and go, shh. And he won't come out. We have had lists and things and you come up with an entire shopping list and we turn up and we do a show like this and it's just as much of a mess as the other ones. <laughs> and we're going to finish with this great track. In the history of the Doug Anthony All-Stars, you wrote many, many, many songs. You have a great history of turning down people who want to do covers of your songs. But someone has covered a Doug Anthony All-Stars song. It's a cracker. It's fantastic. Frankly, it could be better than your version. It is better than our version. Want to spill the blood of a hippie and sung correctly in the punk idiom. Young comrade who you can find on Twitter, her address is at Brutal Planet with two T's. Brutal Planet. Her name is B. They're a Queensland punk band and they are called The Unprettier. The Unprettier. And I guess we all feel that way sometimes. It's a female vocal, is it an all female band? There's a girl out the front, but they're furiously talented and committed musicians. And they are the first people ever to have done a cover with any credibility, certainly have recorded it, of any Doug Anthony All-Stars song. Is it available on iTunes or CD anywhere? Well, I don't know, but if you look up The Unprettier and put in the word hippie, look in and see what you'll find. I can't Google. I don't understand how it works. Well, I'm sure if you contact them, they'll be happy to sell you a copy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get in touch with these people. Check out Bee's work at Brutal Planet on Twitter. She's awesome. I spoke to her. She's just an awesome person, really driven. And speaking of driven, the drums are much more solid in this version than in your original version. This is a pretty much straightforward go-for-it version. Oh, it's totally go for it. We just had sort of hippie drums, bongos and that sort of stuff to take the mickey out of the hippies. But this version has no care about hippies. They're not parodying hippies. They are going straight for the enema. How does it feel hearing someone cover your song? Because it's so rare that that happens. And what does McDermott think of the whole thing? McDermott was thrilled and Fiddler, they both loved it. They thought the version was better than ours. It is, actually. We should have been this angry. Instead, we were all a bit like, la, 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 kill hippies. This is like, forget the la, la, kill the hippies. This has been Bunga Bunga 21. I've been Maynard. And I've been Tim Ferguson, the unprettier. Bunga bunga, or as we like to say, bunga bunga.
on maynard.com.au. Hey, you! 